On this special episode of Embrace the Chaos, I speak with Dave Keane, the creator of The Folly, an outstanding installation at Burning Man 2019. Dave is returning this year with his new installation, Paradisium. Dave Keane hails from County Cork, Ireland, and he keeps the Irish flag flying high, both literally and figuratively. Prior to the folly, Dave was the lead builder on a number of other fabulous installations at Burning Man, such as the Totem of Confessions, the Lighthouse, and the Temple Galaxia. Dave shares how he serendipitously ended up at his first burn and how he got started building art on the playa, which put him on the path towards being a renowned creator of big art. We discuss some of Dave's most memorable moments from the folly, the plans for Paradisium, how collaboration makes big art possible, and the excitement that ensues when art takes on a life of its own. Walking onto the playa and the sun was coming up, the hot air balloon in the sky, it was just the most surreal thing I've ever experienced, you know? It was like, whoa. I still think about it. That was a life-changing experience, really, when I think about it now. It's pretty incredible. So I think you you put that light and that location in with everything else, and it's just, it's a potent mixture. I'm your host, Joe. Let's embrace the chaos. Hi, Dave. Welcome to Embrace the Chaos. How are you? Doing well, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. How are you doing yourself? I'm wonderful, Dave. I'm delighted to have you on. And I believe today is the penultimate day before you make another shipment out onto the playa. Yeah, we shipped out one truck already about a month ago and our next truck leaves tomorrow. We basically don't have any more room in the warehouse to build build any more things. So apologies about the noise here. We're in the workshop and we're currently taking down the trees. We're still deep in the build process. We built all the trees, just 26 of them, and now we're building all the canopies and the bridges. And there's a few little crow's nests in this for that people can climb up and there's bridges. And yeah, it'll be a little like, little like the folly, a little different, but has the same whimsical kind of magical secret things and what have you going on. So for our listeners out there and anybody who doesn't know about the folly, you must have been living under a rock because it was a standout piece of 2019 at Burning Man. And I'd been following it in the lead up to the burn and it was such an exciting project and such a new thing whereby it was an art installation, but also a performance space as well. You're following it up with your new project now called Paradisium. How did you come up with the name? It means orchard in Latin for anyone who is interested. It's 26 trees. So there's six big ones that are climbable. And then there's 20 smaller trees, a grove of trees, you know. And I like the folly again, big collaboration kind of thing. It's so nice to see behind the scenes at American Steel and see where you are building the magic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, American Steel is a magical place. Or it was a magical place. But uh, yeah, here's this is our shop. So you're inside American Steel now and American Steel has been sold for, I believe, the third time in the last 15 years, which means you guys are the last big project to come out of it. Yeah, yeah, we're the last big project made out of here. We've done quite a few projects here over the years. We built a folly here. We built a lighthouse here. We built Temple 2017 here. So yeah, there's been a lot of history here of Burning Man projects and it's sad to see. It's bittersweet, you know. It is bittersweet, yeah. At least we're going out on a big one. But yeah, it's it's funny, actually, being here and seeing it all disappear around us. But I suppose that's the nature of the beasts, you know? 
it's quite similar to watching Burning Man disappear afterwards. You know, it's bittersweet as well because you know yeah. how it was created, but then you have to see it disappear. And I suppose that lends itself as well to watching the folly burn. With Paradisium, it's not going to burn. But with the folly, it was such a beautiful piece. And to watch it go up on fire, was that an instant decision that you knew before you built that it was going to happen? Or did you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we, we couldn't have possibly have taken it down and stored it. It was a quarter million pounds of lumber. Was a really big weight-wise and what have you. So, yeah, we right from the outset we were going to burn it. So, we I was mentally prepared to burn it, and it was a relief actually to see it go up in flames. And we worked on it solidly for a year, and it was poignant to see it burn. Mm-hmm. Reflecting on the folly and how amazing that was for everybody, yeah. can you share with me a couple of your most memorable moments from the folly? Oh wow. We're halfway through building it. You know, you can't have an idea how some of these kind of look, but the folly was kind of thing where we were just building like crazy in the shop. We had, you know, we had plans and all, but like the, a week into it, when we started to take shape and you go, oh, wow, this is going to be this thing, you know, it was pretty, pretty special. It wasn't fully built, but it was on its way. And you have a hundred people running around doing their thing and it's it was like a little village in itself already before it was built but you know it was really like alive you could feel the whole thing was alive like an organism all of its own yeah really it was it really was it was like it it had a life of its own it was like whoa yeah i must along for a ride here now you know that was a pretty poignant moment for me at least yeah and then i think when we burnt it was quite poignant too i imagine that would have been quite emotional yeah it was very emotional yeah it was a lot of tears shed yeah, happy tears of joy, I think, because we'd all gone on this big journey together and it was the completion of it. It was a nice final chapter. It was done. So that was pretty, pretty special too. And then cleaning up afterwards as well. I mean, you're still out there days and days later and you see everyone leave. You're there before everyone gets there and then you're there when everyone's gone again. Yeah. And it's you go back into the quietness of the desert and it's a special time. Yeah, you get to integrate. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's many special moments, but I think it's the journey and the time and just the change of everything that that happens. There's a lot of change that goes on, building something and burning it down and cleaning it up and leaving the desert and it's quiet. And yeah, it's pretty incredible. But what led you to decide to not burn Paradisium this time? Was it because you wanted it to continue on living or where was the thought process? I think my dad, I think my father has always been a, a harsh critic of the burn, the burning thing. Out there. And so that's always been on my mind. And I think burning a forest would have looked bad. The optics wouldn't have been good. Yeah, that's a good point. And I also knew that Burning Man, they're trying to move away from the burning of the big pieces because it's probably not good for them either. So... I knew that we might not have got it if we'd be putting in that we were going to burn it. So it was multiple factors, really. It was an easy decision to make. It's a much harder thing to do to not burn something and to take it down again. We're going down that path this year and we'll see how it goes. You know, would it be nice now to have the folly, you know? I think with this, we'll have, we will have it after the fact. So its life will continue which is nice. So we'll burn the tree, the one tree, that will be our burn. It wasn't a hard decision to not burn it. To be honest, in the shop, half the time, I'm like, oh, geez. it's just, it's so much more complicated to to build this thing and I have to take it apart again. It's just the levels of complexity are, are a factor of five, you know. The engineering and stuff, because when you build it, you have yeah. to have that disassembly in mind. You know, you can't just build Absolutely. You can't just be throwing screws into whole things. Everything is bolted and, you know, it's just a different way of doing things that was factored into the design. So 
it won't be that bad, but I think we'll probably be out there for an extra week, you know, disassembling. So we get to spend a full month at Burning Man. <laughs> lovely. Sure. Isn't that great? And as you say, it would be lovely to still have the folly. And I think the folly would be a museum in its own right today if it was still standing, although it is a museum in many people's hearts that got to experience it. While you're out there on the playa disassembling Paradisium, just remember how happy you're going to see when you go all over the world or America and you see it pop up everywhere. Yeah, yes. Hopefully, please God, that'll happen. Yeah. I want to understand a bit more about that journey that took you right up until 2019. 22 years prior, you moved out to San Francisco and to go from going from your first burn in 1998, then 21 years later, having that standout piece in Burning Man, that doesn't happen overnight. But oh my God, what an achievement. Did you start building as soon as you went back into your second year at Burning Man? No. I went in 98. I had great notions of coming back the next year and, and building. I knew I wanted to build something, but I went back the next year again as a partier and a couple of years after that. What was the very first thing that you can remember seeing when you entered Burning Man? I'll take you back a few hours before that. So I was living on the East Coast and I had a couple of buddies moved to San Francisco and it started a summer and I was like, they were like, you should come out here. So I rented a room. I was living, still living in the East Coast and I rented a room in the place they were at and I came out and... I was calling around looking for jobs and I was called a bunch of Irish moving companies and I got chatting to an Irish girl who was running one of the Irish moving companies and we were chatting on the phone forever. We just got on, you know, and she was like, we're going to the Burning Man Festival next week. And I was like, oh, what's that? And so I was like, ah, sure. They invited me along and I'd never even met the girl. I was up for the adventure. So we all piled into a car and had a couple of six packs of beer, very little food, very little idea what was going on at all. No tickets at all. I think two people in the car had tickets. So we drove all night and we kind of, I think it was like four or five in the morning and we passed through Gerlach and we could see out in the distance the lights, you know. So we said we better jump out of the car here and we'll make our way. We proceeded to hike through the desert, you know, the scrubland on yeah. the edge of the playa for two hours. And we said we'd meet at that big light, which was actually the man. <laughs> and we had no problem. We just we walked straight in, jumped over the trash fence. And I'll never forget it. Walking onto the playa and the sun was coming up. <clears throat> there was a hot air balloon in the sky. It was just the most surreal thing I'd ever, I've ever experienced, you know? Yeah, I was like, whoa, this is... You know, like, <clears throat> it's hard to describe Burning Man to someone. In these days, at least people, for good or for bad, I'm not so sure, but people can actually watch videos and they see all the photos. But if you're going back to 98 and you just had a random phone call with a girl looking for some work, like you had no background information. Maybe you heard a little bit on the car journey out, but like you were going from not to a thousand inside 2.4 seconds flat. Yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah. It was the most surreal thing ever. I still think about it. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I think you see that and it's it was that was a life changing experience, really, when I think about it now. That first time we, we walked onto the playa and just looked around and went, whoa, this mm -hmm. is, yeah. It's a life-changing experience for everybody, I think. And for most people, like, but you're never going to be the same after that first burn. No, you're, that's very true. You're never Show me one same. person that's ever going to be the same. It's not possible. It alters yeah. the trajectory of your life. It, it literally does. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. And it's hard to explain to someone who hasn't been there too. You know, I get it with the video. People can see it now, but it's still, you know, a, a kind of feeling out there that you can't put it into photographs or words. It's just this kind of 
energy. It's palpable energy that's permeating everything, you know? It's a magical energy in which there are limitless possibilities. It's like alternate realities coincide simultaneously, where you can jump from one universe right onto the next universe, onto the next, just by walking down each and every street. Yeah, and then you have the light is magical out there too. The playa is such a magical, beautiful play, you know, geographically and all. It's it's pretty incredible. So I think you you put that light and that that location in with all the other with everything else, and it's just it's a potent mixture. Yeah, and then you get the creativity added into the recipe, and also the chaos, and it's just it's wonderful. Yeah. The title of the podcast is Embrace the Chaos. What does Embrace the Chaos mean to you? What does Embrace the Chaos mean to me? World and our daily lives and we're chaos is avoided, you know, because it mm-hmm. but I think out there you're given the freedom to to just live a little wilder and explore a little more and just be yourself and you know, I suppose having a little more leeway in, in life and not worrying about it. Throwing away the rule book, basically. So that's a good way to put it. Yeah, throwing away the rule book. Yeah. Because I think regular life doesn't really allow for that at all. No, not at all. Pockets of it here and there, but that's about it. Yeah. So I think it's a big liberating thing for everybody, really, you know, the chaos. Bit of chaos is good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, a bit of chaos is always good. So how did your subsequent burns go then? First burn was in 98. And and then I went pretty consistently. In 2004, I met a a beautiful young woman out there and fell in love. And we got married. And we're still married 17 years now. And then we stopped going for a few years. We were like, there's no reason to go to Burning Man now. <laughs> and it wasn't until 2012 when a, a friend of mine, his son was doing an art project out there. And he invited me along as a carpenter because I, I, I work in the construction business out here. And he invited me along as a carpenter to help out. And I got my first taste of the big art scene out there. And I was totally hooked on that. So it's, a, it's a little different. It's a different aspect of Burning Man that... A lot of people don't you see the art, but you don't really see behind the scenes and how the art is made. And it's, it's quite a fascinating process. So I immediately knew I had to get involved in another project after that. So I started volunteering in 2014. And in 2015, Michael Garlington, who's a kind of big artist, he asked me to build his Totem of Confessions. So that, that was the first project I led and built with a big crew. And yeah, then 2016, we did the lighthouse and I led that too. And then 2017 was the temple of 2017, Galaxia. Mm-hmm. And then 2019, it was a folly. And, yeah. and on Galaxia, you were the lead builder? I was the lead on Galaxia too, yeah. That was my first burn. So that was the first temple I ever saw. Oh, no way. Yeah, that was an interesting one. (laughs) (laughs) It was beautiful. I'm sure it was a lot of work on it. But you made an interesting point there that whenever you returned to the burn, you got to experience Burning Man from a different angle, but also you got to experience carpentry from a different angle because you got to be so creative with it. I'd say day to day, there's repetitive work that you do. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a breath of fresh air, actually, in the construction business. It's the same thing all the time, pretty much. It doesn't give you much leeway to be creative. So yeah, it was wonderful to see that aspect that you have this skills that you can utilize in a different way so that was yeah that was wonderful that really kept my interest in the whole thing i think and then i couldn't stop every year then you're like what's the next one <laughs> kind of get addicted to it and and the, and the whole camaraderie and and you know the crew like i'm sure with building celtic chaos it's like it's the crew and the camaraderie that really 
brings you back and makes it special. So it's the same with these big bills. You meet wonderful people and you're doing hard things for long hours, but it really creates that wonderful bond. My best friends are all burners now, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in our previous episode, which was building sound structures and bonds in the desert, once you go behind the scenes and actually get involved with the build, whether it's art or sound camps, it's a different ball game then. And then you're hooked because there's no better experience than creating something that other people enjoy. Oh, yeah, I know. It's wonderful. The sausage, the making of the sausage is, is really fascinating. It really yeah. is. Yeah. I feel very lucky to be part of it and be able to do it. Uh-huh. And with regards then the build, how far along are you guys now in terms of completing the on-land part before you have everything out in the playa? So we started building maybe four months ago full-time. I'm building full-time in the shop where I have two lads working for me. Uh-huh. And we're, I'd say we've got, we've, we definitely have another month of 15-hour days to, to get the, all the canopies done. We've done all wow. the trees but all, we've got to build all the canopies now and, and the bridges and the crow's nests and all that kind of thing. We have a big lighting team doing the lighting. We have a sound team doing sound. So we're quite, we're well on down the road, but there's a lot of work to go. What date will you finally set foot on the playa with everything then and start building there? The, so they're letting us out there in the 15th to, to survey. So we'll be out there in the 15th, which I guess I think I, got, I can have 25 people in the first week and then we'll ramp up to 60 in the second week. So yeah, we survey on the 15th and the aim is to get the structure up in the first week before build week. And then... That allows us to, all the artists come in and decorate the insides of trees and propagate the landscape around it and the sound people and the lighting people to do their thing. And is this going to be a performance space as well? Uh, it is going to be a performance space, but not like the Folly. I think Burning Man changed their policy on performance at big art structures after the Folly. You were the first, really, weren't you? Yeah, I was always, yeah, we were. I was wondering why it never happened before and nobody said we couldn't do it, but... I think they got a little worried after we did it. They changed the rules about performance and art pieces. So we don't have a stage in Paradisium, but we have a big open space in the center and we will have the Black Rock Philharmonic playing there. Beautiful. We'll have a big art, a few art cars are coming around and we will have some things, but we won't have a set schedule like we did in the Folly. But music will be a vital component. Uh, Even live music will be a vital component in Paradisium this year. Mm-hmm. And do you know where Paradisium is going to be oriented now this year? They asked us where we wanted to be and we said we want to be out in deep playa again, kind of where the folly was. So we have trees on the horizon kind of thing. We're out there. It's nice to be away from the madness. Are you going to be on the two o'clock side? Yeah, we're more oriented on the two o'clock side. We are, yeah. Well, it'll be hard to miss a nice orchard in the playa. Yeah. It'll be a big hit. If the folly is anything to go by, this is going to be a massive hit of the 2022 burn. Yeah, we hope so. We hope so. We've put a lot of love into it and it's looking good so far. So please go out and log along. You started building four months ago. When did you actually start planning in your head Paradisium? About a year ago, a friend of mine asked me to build a tree for a coffee shop up in Northern California. So I, I did a lot of thinking about trees and research about trees and building trees. And and so I was in in that mindset when it came around to submitting proposals. So 
it seemed like the logical thing to build a tree. And initially I was going to build a hundred trees and I got some sense and realized that that was ridiculous. We settled on under 30, but yeah, it, the genesis came from a side job, building a tree for a coffee shop. Um, so, we named the coffee shop, give a shout out. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny, the coffee shop never opened. So I still have the tree. And we're going to bring the tree to early burn and we're going to burn the tree. Oh, quality. Yeah. So I still have the tree. We're going to, that's a symbolic burning since we're not burning RDCM this year. Yeah. We're going to burn that tree that, that sparked the whole thing. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of like an embryonic burn. Yeah. That's going to be beautiful. What day is early burn night where you're going to burn the original tree? Early burn night. I think it's on Saturday. Build week, like the first, is it the first day of build week? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'll be lovely. For any of you listeners out there that are in for the build week, make sure to go out for that early burn of the original tree, the seed where a paradisium all came from, because that's going to be really special. You had a huge team for the folly. Am I right in saying that there was a, a lot of carpenters or builders that came out from Ireland as well to help with that? Yeah, there's a few Dublin lads and a few lads from Fork. We have a bunch of Irish lads who come out. One guy in particular, Barry, is a great carpenter from Dublin. He came out for a month, about a month ago, and he stayed with me and he just helped us build like every day of the week. I'm almost trying to get more Irish people out here to help on the whole thing. It would be nice to have more, but we have a bunch of Irish heads in the crew for sure. Like if people listen to this and they're in the Bay Area or they're in San Francisco, we have a big community out there as well. There's going to be builders out there that are going to want to get involved in an art project like this. And it'd be nice to have a few more Irish heads in there, I'm sure. Oh, big time. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. Always looking for more Irish heads. Yeah. They're some of the best carpenters and the hardest workers and the biggest messers and you know, <laughs> all of the above for sure. Yeah. You get to laugh and work at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Big time. Yeah. No, it's always great to have the Irish around. Yeah. yeah. You'll have to swing by Celtic Chaos then and come and have a drink with us at Birdie's Bar. Oh, big time. Yeah. I haven't been in Celtic Chaos for years. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Actually, yeah. I really am this year. Yeah. And it's funny you should say that there is a crow's nest in Paradisium because if you've listened to the previous podcast, you would know that one of the co-founders of our camps passed away since the last burn and his name was Crow. That's right. Yeah, so I think we'll all take a trip up to Crow's Nest for him. To Crow's Nest, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's a nice way to remember Crow, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So about a year ago, then you came up with Paradisium, roughly. Not only can people donate in any which way that they can, be it financially, be it labor-wise for carpenters and builders or admin people, but people actually have an opportunity to be like a gold donor and receive one of the trees. Have they all been claimed yet or is there any left? There's a few left. There's a few been taken. Yeah. Part of the deal is we'll put them up in their property as well within California. Yeah. And there's a bunch of different sized trees, so it's they're pretty accessible to you know, there's a 12 foot, a 16 foot, and then the big ones, which are 25, 30 feet tall, more suitable to big properties. But yeah. And then we have a few little ones as well. So we're hopefully, since we're not burning it, we want, we don't want it to sit on trailers, want it to go out in the community. And we're going to give some to the 360 that the new Burning Man property there, they're going to put some of them up there. And so, yeah, we'd like them to go to homes and be out there. A few projects I know that haven't burned they sit in storage for a long time and we don't want to do that not because it costs money and you just don't want your art to be covered up and sitting there so we're actively looking for homes for them we may bring them to some music festivals we'll see we'll see how it goes yeah who wouldn't want a little piece of burning man in the back garden yeah seriously huh yeah 
you know, you mentioned you would like some other festivals to perhaps be displayed at their festivals as well, because as an installation isn't made to only be used for a week and then sit on a flatbed. It has a lifespan of many years. Some really cool festivals in America that it would really lend itself so well to. Yes. Yeah, that's what we're thinking. Things like Coachella and... uh lightning in a bottle there's just just even in on the west coast there's a bunch of big festivals that that i think it would be pretty suitable for and the thing about it is as well as it's modular so we can bring parts of it to to festivals it's it doesn't have to be the whole thing it can be parts of it and, and we're also thinking that it can evolve as well you know after this one we can go okay we can change this about it or we can build a different tree or change the other way people inter- interact with it so that's exciting. It'll have a life after this and it, mm-hmm. it can evolve with how it works, you know. And going back to the folly, it was built entirely from reclaimed materials yeah. that came from buildings in San Francisco. And you breathed so much new life into material that was basically destined for landfill. With yeah. the material for Paradisium, how has that material come into possession? Is that reclaimed as well? Yeah, it's all reclaimed. I mean, a lot of the structural stuff is not because it's it, you have to have an engineering stamp on, on these big projects. The engineers demand a grade of lumber that, that you can't pull out of a landfill. So a lot of the framing lumber is new lumber, but all the rest of it, all the cladding and all the canopies and all that is all reclaimed again. We've a good... We've built up good contacts with recycling companies in the Bay Area and fence companies and drive in here with trucks and just give us stuff. It's pretty incredible. The amount of stuff that's getting thrown away is is shocking. That's terrible. So it's nice to be able to use some of it. And yeah, in the folly, we had a lot of the exterior cladding was done in recycled fence boards. We've taken that to another level in Paradisium, as okay. people can see. So it's it's all geometric tessellation patterns and all the trees. So it's going to look pretty interesting. Yeah. But it's all, again, reclaimed, recycled fence boards and recycled paint. So all the painting we've done, these trees are a lot more colorful than the folly was, I think. And that's all, again, recycled paint. People throw away so much paint. So we're jumping in dumpsters, grabbing paint. And since American Steel has been closing down, a lot of people have been just abandoning things here. So we've got a ton of stuff. Like our shipping container was abandoned. So a lot of, yeah, a lot of our stuff is... uh, it's coming out of American Steel now that it's it's changing. So it saves a lot of money too. Yeah, exactly. Because it's a very costly endeavor. Yeah, it is a very costly endeavor. Yeah, that's for sure. I always like to ask my guests about the temple, but with you as a guest being the lead builder on Galaxia, which was the first temple I'd ever saw, how did you go from getting back in the mid-noughties into like building and carpentry? Talk to me in a little bit more detail about that journey to then being that lead builder on the temple. It all came down to Michael Garlington's tone of confessions. His lead guy dropped out about two months before the event, and I was just a carpenter on the team, and he asked me, would I lead it? And I was hesitant at first, but I had... Three Irish guys were helping me on that. It was a very small crew. It was really hard work, but we pulled it off. And I think it was well-received out there. You pulled it off in stellar style. It was gorgeous. Yeah, I think. thank you. Thank you. He's a fantastic artist. Michael is a great guy. So I think that kind of gave me confidence that I could lead a big build. The Lighthouse the following year, Johnny and Max Poynton's beautiful project. I'm good friends with those guys. They asked me again. And then I kind of people hear about you and they trust that you can pull these things off. And I think that's how I step by step got into that realm that when 
Galaxia came about, I got a phone call from Arthur asking me would I do it. And then I was like, yeah. And I saw the design. I loved it. And I was like, absolutely. Immediately, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't have to convince me at all. Prior to that, would you have spent much time in the temple over your previous burns? Was it somewhere that you would go to every burn or? You know, I would always visit the temple, but it wasn't. I didn't realize how significant the temple was to its people and, and to the community till I really got involved in building it. Because a lot of the people that work in a temple have lost, you know, kids. And it's a pretty serious, it's a heart-rendering kind of thing. I was the kind of guy who'd I'd go to the temple and I'd check it out. And I didn't have such uh, respect and reverence that I do now for, the, for what it means to the community. The temple is, yeah, the temple is pretty incredible. The, the temple and everything that goes around it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a special thing at Burning Man, you know. Yeah, it is. It's definitely a uh, an epicenter for a lot of people that have felt that deep-seated grief. It is, yeah. Yeah. You feel lucky and privileged to be part of any temple. I mean, it's, it's pretty special. And then on the flip side of that, whenever you're working on these big projects, obviously there is moments of crisis, quote-unquote crisis. And I think to be a lead on any type of project, your ability to handle a crisis smoothly and under pressure really dictates the quality of leader that you are. And I'm sure you've seen quite a few hiccups, <laughs> let's just say, along the way. Can you remember some of the standout crisis that you encountered? Yeah, I mean, there's always injuries, putting screws through their hands and falling off ladders and kind of stuff. But that's, I think that's the nature of the game really out there. I'm very lucky. I have a, an amazing team around me. I really do. I've been working with the same people for years. And so we all help each other. I have a great support group of people that make my job much easier. You know, we're ready. We know things are going to go wrong. And that's sometimes that's half the fun, you know. The challenge is half the fun out there, really. Nothing's ever going to go smoothly. You're dealing with harsh weather conditions and heat and people who are breaking down from I don't know what. I think that's part and parcel of building out a Burning Man. So I go into it with a, an open mind and I you can't be getting stressed out about things like that because they're going to happen, you know. But the team I have around me is part and parcel of us being able to deal with these kind of things and keep moving forward with grace and having a laugh too. I think that's a big part of our crew. Everyone has got to be enjoying themselves. And, you know, if you're asking people to work like dogs out in the desert for free, they better be enjoying themselves. So <laughs> I think it's an important part of the whole thing is that I want people to be having fun, just building silly art out in the playa. It's not, <laughs> it's not life. It's just a bit of a laugh, really, in the end of the day. So yeah, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Because if it's not fun, then it's not enjoyable. And it's not nah, quality it's not. art. The energy behind it isn't going to be an enjoyable energy, you know? Exactly, yeah. If they're good at something, you leave them off and do their thing. I try not to micromanage people. I try to just have good people do good things, let them off and do their thing. And I think uh, people like that and people raise the occasion. We've had success with that kind of way of building, I think. so. Yeah, if you leave space for the creativity, it will happen. But if you micromanage and everything and there's no space for people to express themselves, then you're just going to have your vision of what it is. Exactly, yeah. And I think it's big projects. You can have a great vision at all, but to bring it to the level of any of these big ones. It's a big community effort and it's a lot of people's creativity goes into making it, you know. That's what makes it special, I think, and brings it to the next level. There's many artists, many collaborators that come together. That experience of building community above all else is what enriches your own personal life so much. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's I think that's the big takeaway I get from this whole thing is is that sense of community you build out there and the friends you make and the things you go through. You build lifelong friendships and it does change how you approach things in life, I think, because you see the best and worst of people out of doubt there. <laughs> uh, more often than not, you see the best of people. I find I always come away from a big build and Burning Man. And maybe it's not just the build part of it, there's a lot of kindness and generosity and patience and people are very honest and open and they look you straight in the eye and they speak their mind and they're very real. I think that really does carry on back into the normal reality, I think, at least for at least for a little bit. When you have that same connection and the same experience where people are looking you dead in the eye and telling you exactly what they think, it reminds you of what it's like to be out there on the plot. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. No, it's a very interesting thing actually. Realism that's out there. People are really themselves. And I think they're given space to be themselves too. You're there's no judgment, very little judgment out there. And you're allowed to be who you are, you know. And I think that's very empowering for people. Yeah, 100% because, I mean, my friendship circle, there's no judgment. Most people aren't fortunate enough to experience that within their day-to-day. And so when they go there and they're allowed to be free for the first time, I know I've said on previous podcasts, it's the first time I ever felt true freedom to just yeah. have fun and there's no responsibilities. You don't have to care what anybody's thinking. Oh, it's, it's wonderfully empowering. Yeah, it is really it's kind of liberating almost. I think in the day-to-day life we live in, you put up barriers all the time just to protect yourself or just to fit in or what have you. And that doesn't exist out there. You are who you are and you're allowed to be your true self. You're encouraged to be your true self. Because people get so used to asking themselves subconsciously in the day-to-day, what version of myself do I need to be in this situation? And then adopt accordingly. And you don't have to do that out there. You don't. And we don't even know we're doing it in our day-to-day lives. We just automatically do it. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a funny one. I know a lot of people are going to want to have a part to play in actually funding such a magical project. How can people donate to this? So if you go to follybuilders.com, that's our website. There's a donate button. We're on Instagram, paradisium.forest or follybuilders uh, as an Instagram. But I think follybuilders.com is the best place to go to to donate. Yeah, yeah. Anything helps. The Folly Build, your biggest chunk of money that you raised was actually from those small donations from people, me and you, that were just able to put in whatever they had. It was, yeah. The, the majority of our, I mean, Burning Man gave us a big chunk and we got a couple others, but yeah, the majority of the money was raised from 20 bucks here and 100 bucks or whatever people give. Small donations, yeah. It all adds up, you know. You couldn't do it without small donors. They really make the, they make these things happen. So yeah, if you're interested in helping out, please go to follybuilders.com and click the donate button. And we have some great swag too. T-shirts and koozies and Yeah, and and hoodies and trees. So there's lots of good stuff to be had for your money. And on top of that, Um, the experience that you're going to have at Paradisium as well is well worth any investment that you make in donating because it's going to be epic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we're associated with Flux Foundation, so we have a nonprofit status. So your donations are tax deductible. So for anyone out there who wants to save a bit of money on our taxes, we, we have a 5013C status. Yeah, donations are tax deductible. So. Yeah. And we'll pop the link for that down below in the comments Ooh. as well, if any of you feel called to donate to that. And one final question. I always ask my guests how they decompress after Burning Man. What's their tactics? However, for you, it must be an extra added layer of decompression that's either needed 
because most people plan for the burn for a couple of months and they spend like a week there and maybe a week either side in America. But whenever you've been working on a project from design for maybe a year, a full build for four months, you're on the playa for a full month. You watch your art either go up in flames and then you deconstruct it. That decompression must be so interesting. I think the decompression probably starts when the event ends and we're out. you're out there and it gets much quieter. We go to the reservoir, we go swimming and we do a lot of that. And then, I don't know, I get right back into it. These big art projects, you got to start right after the event is finished, you know, October, November, you're going to start planning the next one. I mean, <laughs> I don't really know if I have much of a decompression strategy, Joe, to be honest with you. I enjoy work, you know. Yeah, yeah. Whenever you're creating <laughs> big art, in terms of inspiration, energetically, visually, you're never going to be as inspired as you are when Burning Man is over. So it's like right. where the sun shines and then jump on it and see what your inspiration comes up with. So it does make sense for an artist. Yeah, generally you, you finish the event and you're very motivated Charged. and keyed up, keyed up to go to the next thing. Yeah, for sure. So I think it's almost exciting, really. But I ride my bike a lot after Burning Man. And I do things like that, things that I love to do. So, yeah. And post-paradisium, do we have any idea what's next for Dave Keane? I'm talking to a few people about a few things. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I think the whole world will be watching, Dave, to see what you come up with next in terms of Paradisium and get a glimpse of that and experience that and then beyond. And I know in terms of the Irish community, for us, it's such an honour to have an Irishman at the helm of the lead build of Galaxia and then having created the folly in 2019, which was absolutely spectacular. And that is going to give a lot of Irish a pathway into seeing that could be me. Oh, thanks, Joe. It's very nice of you to say that. It's my pleasure. I feel lucky to be in the position I'm in, flying the Irish flag. We had an Irish flag flying off the top of the folly. I don't know if you noticed yeah. that. It was no. the old, yeah, it was the old harp. I think it's the, maybe it's the presidential flag, but my buddy, I think it was an old Irish flag. My buddy Barry brought it out. So we'll be flying that again from the top of Paradisium, just keeping the Irish on top of things out there. Oh, nice. Celtic Chaos will definitely come out and we'll do a ride out together and visit you there at Paradisium. I look forward to seeing you out there. Uh, I'm not 100% certain yet if I'll be there. I started a new photography business nine months ago. I relocated from Australia to Ireland in the middle of COVID. I don't know if it's going to be feasible, but if I am there, I will be at a Paradisium for sure. I look forward to it. Yeah, I look forward to it too. Thank you so much for being on Embrace the Chaos, Dave. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, it's been very nice. It was so lovely to hear from Dave and get a behind-the-scenes insight into Paradisium. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Embrace the Chaos, and thank you to my guest Dave Keane, creator of The Folly and Paradisium. If you'd like to get involved and donate to Paradisium, go to follybuilders.com and click the donate button. Every little helps, and the link to donate will be in the show notes below. We had a few uh, audio difficulties in the recording of this podcast, as you would have heard. So thank you for turning a blind eye or ear, should I say. The music that you've listened to in this episode of Embrace the Chaos is by Malison Inkis from County Cork, and the title of the track is Shocking. You can stream this anywhere that you listen to music. A special thank you to John from Claycastle Recording Studios in County Cork for mastering the audio of this podcast. And a special shout out to our admin team at the Celtic Chaos community for working behind the scenes to bring Embrace the Chaos to you. If you're enjoying Embracing the Chaos with us, please do hit that subscribe button and join us on our social channels where we would love to hear from you. Thank you.